We're uh, actually going to start with a, a video today, and it's about seven minutes long, so just kind of settle in and we'll uh, watch it. The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible, and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans, or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential, to care for it, and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden. It's like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil, or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death, because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring death, that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the humans seize autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves, and in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The man and the woman, they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are. Now, they can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God. And then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now, right here, the story stops, and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost, because the snake, too, will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. 
It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled, and what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the human's decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings, or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted, and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world, and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah, and his family, and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high, but then Noah fails too, and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard, and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam, naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick. And they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before. And they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves. It's an image of human rebellion and arrogance. It's the garden rebellion now writ large. And so God humbles their pride and scatters them. Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. And these stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships, leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come, the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source. And so despite humanity's evil, God is determined to bless and rescue his world. And so the big question, of course, is what is God going to do? And the next story, The Hinge, offers the answer. But for now, that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about.
right. Did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's hopeful. Um, that video actually comes from off of Right Now Media. Uh, so if you want to do some kind of search, just type in Genesis and it'll come up. You can watch the second part. But uh, today we're continuing this message series that we started last week, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. And the purpose of this series is to help us to understand who we are in God's eyes and get a bigger picture of the fullness of life that we're meant to live and, and that we can live through faith in Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at Psalm 139 where we're told that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And our memory verse for this series comes from that passage of scripture. It's found in verse 14 where we read these words. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are one of a kind. Each person is unique. You are created good. You're created in the image of God, as we saw in the video. And that is the bottom line of our identity. But our day-to-day experience points us back to the problem described in the video that we just watched. We live in a fallen world And not only is the world operating under this broken system, but we find ourselves struggling to overcome the broken, fallen ways that we've inherited. In fact, what we discover in the story that's told from Genesis uh, chapter 12 and on is that though we're created in the image of God, that he has intentionally created us with love, our, our inner person is spiritually dead. We're that dead man walking and in need of a new beginning. The good news is that God has intervened to stop that downward spiral of history. And he's provided a way through Jesus Christ to stop the downward spiral in our own lives. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, Spiritually dead people can be made alive again. The image of God that was lost at the fall can be restored. Paul talks about it this way in Romans 5, 18 through 19. This is from the message. He says, here it is in a nutshell. Just as one person did it wrong and got us in all this trouble with sin and death, another person did it right and got us out of it. But more than just getting us out of trouble, he got us into life. One man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God and put many people in the right. And what Jesus has done for us to put us in the right is so important. Jesus broke down the barriers caused by sin. He got us out of this trouble with sin and death so that we could be made right with God again. And there's a big theological word for this, and I try to give it to you about once a year so that if you're ever in a conversation with someone at the restaurant and they bring it up, you know, you won't have that deer in the headlights look. Somebody say that happened to me last week, right? (laughs) No, (laughs) probably not. But uh, I I, I want you to know these things. And the, the word for this new standing with God is justification. It simply means pardon or forgiveness. God forgives you, 
And when you accept Jesus' death on the cross for your sins, he cleanses your account. The record of all the times you got it wrong is stamp paid, and you are forgiven all your sins. You stand before God in this new position with a clean record. You're justified, and and an easy way to remember this is it's just as if you never sinned. It's just as if you are taken back to the Garden of Eden in that, that position that Adam and Eve were in where they were in complete and uh, good relationship with Jesus Christ. He moves you from a position of being separated and alienated from God to being children of God, friends of God, from being far away from God to being brought near to God. But, but that's not all. When you are... Uh, give your life to Jesus Christ. He forgives your sins, but he doesn't leave you standing there uh, all forgiven, all cleaned up, and then to go on with your life trying to live a godly life in your own power. There are two things that happen simultaneously when you accept Jesus Christ. At the very same time that uh, God forgives you and gives you a clean slate, he also gives you a new heart, a new nature, a new kind of life. And there's a big word for this, too. It's called regeneration. God recreates us from someone who's spiritually dead to someone who is alive in a new kind of way. You know, God created you fearfully and wonderfully, and when we found ourselves in trouble with sin and death, God rescued us, recreated us. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Says Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. If you're a new Christian, uh, you know, I hope you understand this, that you are not the same anymore. You were spiritually in the morgue, a dead man walking or a dead woman walking, and now you are spiritually alive, a, a new creation. And on the back of your message notes, I've printed uh, some of the scriptures that help us to understand exactly um, what this new relationship means for us after we become a Christian. Um, For instance, in Ephesians 2, 3, it says, But now in Christ you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, Ephesians 2, 19, So then... You're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of the household of God. Romans 5.10, if for while we were enemies, we are reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And it goes on and on and gives this uh, before and after picture of what it means uh, to be in Christ and, and to be justified and to be regenerated and to become this new person. It's just an incredible difference. I encourage you to look down through those scriptures this week and to get a fuller understanding of what your life in Christ is like and what it means for you. Justification brings a change in your standing with God, a realignment. And so once we were in this category of slaves to sin, aliens, strangers, enemies of God, and because of Christ, we're moved into a new standing and become friends of God, God's children, 
citizens of God's kingdom. God is on our side and we are on God's side. And it's this huge change. God does these things for every person who turns to him for help. So we're created fearfully and wonderfully. And through Jesus Christ, we become a new creation, one full of life. And in the time that we have left, I want to talk to you about what it means for us. So in your message notes, uh, we're going to look at three changes we experience as new creations in Christ. And we'll go through these fairly quickly. Okay. As a new creation, you receive a new heart. All right? Now, of course, we're not talking about a physical heart, although that would be, be nice for some of us, some of you. Uh, we're given a new inner longing for God to, to love the things that God loves. It's, it's a heart that has God's ways encoded into it that wants to obey God. It's a heart that uh, loves justice and responds to God's promptings to care for others and to seek the lost. And God made this promise through Ezekiel, Ezekiel hundreds of years before Jesus came. He said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Isn't that something we all want? And the very essence of the Christian faith revolves around change. But it, it's not a turning over a new leaf kind of thing. You know, I'm just going to try harder. It's, it's um, living out a new life. And, and God gives us the heart, the will, and the ability to do that through this uh, relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a big word for this uh, process as well. It's called sanctification. I somehow managed to leave it out of your notes. But the clearest way to think about sanctification is, uh, and to apply it to our lives is that sanctification is becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Uh, more and more like Jesus in our character, in our choices, in the things that we love, our priorities, our values, uh, and our, the way that we love God and others. In the book of Second Corinthians, uh, Paul speaks about this to uh, the believers. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, All of us, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into that same image. And he's pointing to this promise that we can have the image of God restored in us. Everything that was lost in the fall can be restored as we, we respond to the Holy Spirit working in this new heart that we've been given. Then number two, as a new creation, you receive a new nature. Uh, the old has passed away, the new has come, and um, we get a new beginning with God, with a new kind of nature. See, the old nature, Paul talks about it being our sinful nature, it has a bent towards sinning, and it was always leading us away from God. And this new nature is a nature bent toward God, leading us towards God, and and enabling us to please God in our choices. And, and, and that doesn't mean you're never going to mess up. You're uh, never going to fall short. But now you've given, been given the spirit of God, the spirit of Christ, to help you to love God, to love others, and to make godly choices. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in Jesus Christ who 
who loved me and gave himself for me. The, the old self-centered sinful nature is crowded out, replaced by the spirit of Jesus Christ living in me. So you're given a new heart, a new nature, and as a new creation, you're given new life. Uh, apart from Jesus Christ, we are spiritually dead, and Jesus gives us a new and different kind of life, one that's infinitely better now and goes on forever and ever. And, you know, today's Pentecost, and I was thinking about what it must have been like in the heavenly realm uh, when those first disciples began to put their faith in Jesus Christ, when that crowd of 3,000 people believed in one day uh, and put their faith in Christ. You know, there had been thousands of years between chapter 3 of Genesis, where Adam and Eve got us into all this trouble, as we read in the scripture, and all those years God had been at work waiting for the day when this other man, Jesus Christ, would get it right and would make a way for people to have access to, to God again. And finally, the day has come, and person after person that day were putting their faith in Jesus Christ. They were moving out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, out of bondage, into freedom, and those who were far off were being brought near. And Jesus says there's a party in heaven when anyone comes to faith, and there must have been quite the party that day as Jesus Christ turned all of this around. And the most important step that we can take in our life is to take that step towards Jesus Christ and the life that he came to offer us. God loves you. He wants you to have a full and meaningful life. And if you haven't made the decision yet to live your life for Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to do that today, to become a new creation. If you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, then the invitation of this message is to stop and think uh, and thank God for recreating you, for making you new, giving you a new heart that beats for the things that God loves, giving you a new nature that has a desire to walk in God's ways, and giving you new life that never ends. It's infinitely better now and gives you the hope of heaven. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we thank you. Uh, we praise you for your kindness to us through Jesus Christ, the mercy that you've shown us, the grace that's ours for forgiving us, giving us a new standing with you, giving us a new heart, making us new creations. We give you thanks for all these things. And, and if there's anybody here that hasn't received that yet, I, I invite you to pray with me right now. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I thank you for what you've done for me on the cross. I receive the life that you came to give me. And I give you my life in exchange. Help me to live for you. We ask these saints in Jesus' name. Amen.